And you never know what we're going to talk about at New Spring, do you? <laughs> Tonight and this weekend, though, I just want to talk about Jesus. You know, the Bible says in the book of Acts 16, when someone who was desperate asked, what do I have to do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Every other religion has some sort of list of do's and don'ts. But don't you find that interesting? That when a desperate man asked, what is it that I need to do to be saved? The simple answer was believe in Jesus Christ. Now to me, what's important about that statement is not the believing part because definitely what's asked of us is not very much. It's just the magnificence of Jesus. What a person. The simple belief in him could transform us. In the book of 1 John chapter 5, verse 12, and I just want us to look at this tonight. If you've heard this verse before, don't let it just run through your ears. I mean, think about the magnitude of what this verse says. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. Think about that. Whoever has the Son, that's Jesus, has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Breaking that statement apart is like breaking a BB. Because at the end of the day, it's just like we saw in the previous verse. Everything depends on Jesus. If you have everything that this world has to offer and you don't have Jesus, you're a loser. I mean that with the most love I can say. But if you have everything but Jesus and you don't have him, you can have the stocks, the bonds, the cars, the billions, the, the, the accolades of people. You can be famous. But what the heck does it matter? Because he who has the son has life. On the other hand, you could, I hope not, but you could have every misfortune practically that's known to humankind. You could be hated, scorned, abused, as many people are in our world today who've known nothing in their lives but abuse and, and torture. But if you have Jesus, you're a winner. And so I think tonight, on this Palm Sunday weekend, it's very important that we move aside from all the other important things that we can talk about here at New Spring that are meaningful and true about Issues that we talk about, like how to, how, to, how to think happy. That's going to be a wonderful series. It's going to be good, I promise you. A lot of value is going to be added to your and my life. How to deal with anger, how to have a great you know, family relationship or love relationship or you know, how to be a good friend. All the things that we talk about at New Spring. Tonight, let's just push those all aside and let's, let's talk about Jesus because at the end of the day, if you fail everywhere else but you have Jesus, then life will be good for you eternally. On the other hand, if you score in every other arena of life and you don't and you miss out on Jesus because whoever has the Son has life. Who does not have the Son does not have life. And what we must understand about why this is so important is we must understand that ultimately you and I are going to deal with God. And the reason why Jesus is so key to our lives is that Jesus is so important to his Father. You know, there are people that say, why must I accept Jesus? Why can't I just believe in God? Well, 
explain to the father why you want him when you flipped off his son. There was this very wealthy guy years ago, mega millions of dollars. And he had no family. His wife had passed in childbirth. He had no family except an only son. And regardless of all of his money and wealth and yachts and companies and businesses and vacation homes and automobiles, what was most important to him was this young man. But unfortunately, his son died at an early age. His son died in his early 20s. And this man, although he lived for years after that, it was as if his life stopped. And the one thing that he looked at every day longingly with all of his possessions, he looked at a, a portrait that hung at the top of the staircase of his house. There was a portrait of his son that was done full length of his son dressed in a tuxedo, perhaps going out for prom. But there was a portrait of his son. In fact, at the bottom, the title of the picture was simply, My Son, My Son. And every day, whatever that man was doing, he found some time to stare and stop and stare at the portrait of my son. When he died, he left strange instructions for his lawyers. He left his lawyers the instructions to invite practically everybody that he'd ever been associated with in life because he had no heirs. He had nieces and nephews. He had cousins. He had friends. He had business associates. There are people that had worked for him through the years, and his lawyers were to invite everybody in, and he, he left his lawyers with some odd instructions. He said, they're all going to think that you're opening the wheel, but he said, instead, you're going to give each one of them the permission to request anything they want. You're gonna, you, 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 I don't have any heirs, so just tell them they can ask for whatever they want. They can submit their request, and then my instructions will determine what they get. Well, if you'd been there, chances are you'd have been probably like me or like most people. I mean, there were, there were people there that requested his house, his property, or shares of corporations or company, whole companies, vacation homes, automobiles. I mean, they were scribbling furiously, asking for everything. But in the group was a woman who had worked for the family for years. And when the man's wife passed away, she basically raised this boy. And she just scribbled down on a page that the only thing that she wanted was my son, the portrait that hung in the, in, in the stairwell. And when the lawyer had all the requests, the lawyers had all the requests on the table there, they simply opened up an envelope that left the final instructions of this wealthy man. The wealthy man said this, if anyone in the group asks for my son, that person gets it all. That is what the Father has said to you. Anyone who wants my son gets it all. If you want the son, you have life. If you don't want the son, you don't have life. It's that simple. And so today, I just feel like on this Palm Sunday weekend, and especially because of what Palm Sunday is about, it's really important for us just to take a moment, because at the end of this message, I'm not going to ask you to walk out and do anything other than take some cards to invite your friends. But, I mean, this message is not going to ask you to do anything. This message is simply going to ask you to step back, stand back, and look at Jesus and see what you think. This weekend, Palm Sunday weekend, we celebrate a special happening in the life of Jesus. Sometimes we call it his triumphal entry, but whatever you want to call it, it happened on the Sunday before the Friday that he was crucified. And Jesus came riding into the city of Jerusalem, and he had given his, his, his disciples some rather peculiar instructions. 
they were to go to a particular house where a man had a donkey, and they were just to tell the man, the, the master has need of him. I mean, they were just to take the donkey, but Jesus knew that this man's heart was prepared for that moment that he would give the donkey over to them. And in Matthew 21, and you'll find this story in all four Gospels, in Matthew 21, they brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on him, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from trees. We know that these were palm trees. There weren't palm trees in Jerusalem. Most of these palms had come from Jericho, but palm, palm branches were a sign of victory. They spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he, or blessed is he, who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Let's just break this apart real quickly for a moment. When they called him son of David, that was a title that was only given to the Messiah, the one who had been prophesied from Genesis 3.15, that someday God would send the descendant of David who would rule on the throne forever. And so they knew he was coming. And when these people saw him coming, and this is kind of unusual because there was a prophecy, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, that was written 500 years before that told the people how they could recognize their Messiah. And it's kind of interesting because in Zechariah it says, Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey. Most kings came in on a horse. And yet, and yet you know, Zechariah said, and Jesus did, came in riding on a donkey. That's like saying... Your president's going to come in not riding in a limousine, but he's going to be driving a Dodge truck. That's, that's, that, that's how different it was. And so these people who were ready for Jesus, who were seeing him come into the city of Jerusalem, whoever they were, and they were a crowd, and, and, and this was a time of Passover, and there were pilgrims, and by pilgrims, I mean people who had come to celebrate the Passover, who had come from all over, and a lot of times the people who had already gotten to town to celebrate the Passover, they would, they would go, they would, there would be chants or cheers of welcome for others who were coming in to celebrate. But this is a really important moment because Jesus was very unpopular with a lot of the religious powers. And for these people to step out and call him the Messiah and to call him the son of David and to say Hosanna, which means save us, that was a remarkable thing. And then to throw down palm branches, man, that was like, you know, you know it's almost as if those were campaign buttons that said, win with Jesus. Because these were, these were celebrations of victory. Now, the thing that I want to talk to you about in regard to all of this is it sounds great. But something doesn't add up. I, I got to tell you, I, I saw my mom right before the service. And, and I remember when I heard the story of, of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, even as a very small child, four or five years old, it didn't add up to me. Somebody ever tell you something, it just doesn't, it sounds good, it's just not right. Your kids tell you something, you ask them where they were, and they tell you something, or you ask them about a grade or whatever, and they tell you a story, and it sounds good, but just your ear picks up, it's just something's not right. Or your husband tells you why he's, he, he worked late and why he's late, and it sounds like a plausible story, but there's just something in you that says, hmm. Something's wrong. Don't know what it is. Or maybe you have a, you know, a salesman giving you a pitch, and the sales pitch sounds good, you know? And yet you're saying to yourself, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm wary here. 
When I hear this story, and even when I was like a four or five-year-old kid, and I heard about Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and everybody cheering and yelling and putting palm branches on the ground and throwing their coats on the ground for him and, and cheering for him, I mean, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, after all, it's a holy day. How many songs have Hosanna? But you know the question I asked my parents when I was just a small kid? Wasn't this Sunday? Where were these people on Friday? I just couldn't figure that out. If there was such a big crowd that they were cheering for him as king, couldn't they have stepped in and stopped his execution? The people that were shouting Hosanna on Sunday, the nasty little secret and the sad little thing that maybe you and I need to put our arms around tonight is to be honest with you, a lot of the people who were chanting Hosanna on Sunday morning were chanting crucify him. What went wrong? What went wrong? Why didn't it work? I mean, it, it sounds, you know, we, we know that God was going to send his son into the world. We know that Jesus came in to be the king, and he comes in, and it looks like the people are wanting him to be king, but something all broke down between Sunday morning and Friday. What was it that broke down? And I know, it could be that I'm talking to you here and you're saying, Mark, this really doesn't mean a whole lot to me in 2013. You'd be surprised how much this means to you and me. It all starts with what the people wanted. They wanted a king. I mean, they had been promised one. I've shared with you so many times how that this Jesus, the, the Messiah, was promised from Genesis. So this is a 4,000-year-old promise at least. And he had been prophesied throughout all the prophets, all the, you know, the kings during the period of the judges, all throughout the thousands of years of the Old Testament. It was like, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. There's going to be a king. He's going to rule. He's going to be the greatest king in the world. There's going to be a dynasty that will never end. And the Jewish people had looked for him, and they had waited for him to come. And, and so what they wanted was a king. And, and they were tired of being kicked around. My heart goes out to them. They'd been kicked around for 500 years by all kinds of people groups. The Syrians did it, the Babylonians did it, the Medes did it, the Persians did it, the Greeks did it, Romans were at the time. I mean, it was just like, who can kick us around? Who can besiege our city? I mean, they had been through so much for centuries, they were desperate for a king who could come and overthrow Rome. They were looking for a king who could win. And along comes Jesus. He looks like the guy. I mean, after all, he heals sick people. There's your health care program right there. I mean, you know, nobody's proposed that. You know, we got all kinds of ideas for health care, but man, what if you got a king to just flat out heal people? That'd work for me. And then he can take a sack of lunch and feed a city with it. There's your poverty program. And he, he turns water into party wine. Who wouldn't like that? Who wouldn't want a king like that? So here, here's my whole point. I'm not trying to be flipped to you. I'm just saying when these people are crying out, Hosanna, which means save us or save us now, and then they're saying, Son of David, we love you. We're for, win with Jesus. You know what they were saying? And this is what's really important that you and I grasp this. They were saying to Jesus, take your place. We're giving it to you. We are crowning you king. Stay with me through this comment. They were offering him the transformation of human coronation. 
They were offering him that transition that comes, that transformation that comes when humans have decided that someone is worthy of worship. Have you ever noticed the strangeness of of human elevation? There's some weird component in us that wants to worship someone. We all have it. We all want heroes. We're always looking for somebody that we, can, that we can look at. You know, entertainers, athletes, musicians, we'll pay big bucks to see them. We'll wait in line for ages for them to sign, our name on, sign their name on a shirt. When you're a kid, you put their pictures on the wall. You wear memorabilia from the games or concerts. You know what makes that odd? 99% of celebrities were nobodies just a little while ago. I mean, a lot of these people that we wait in line to see, you know, they got their entourages and limousines and stuff, and you can't get close to them and stuff. And, and when they're bright and they're beautiful, and the, you know, when they're, when they're going out to get the, you know, their, their Oscars or, or, you know, when they're coming in for their concerts, oh, I got to look at him. I mean, the deal is this, 99% of those people were nobodies. You could have just walked right up to them a little while ago, but now you can't get close. Do you realize it hasn't been probably but about a decade or so that just about anybody could have walked up to Barack Obama in Chicago. Chances are he had a hard time getting into certain people's offices. I mean, you just walked right up to him on the street, but not now. I mean, and think about this. You could have ridden the bus with the Pope in Buenos Aires just about any day, just wait at the bus stop. But now you got to have an, an audience with the man who represents God on earth. It's just the strangeness of human elevation. And why are we like this? You know, and the thing about it is, is it's, there's a strangeness to our, our desire to elevate people into celebrity because it's like when, when, when the crowd designs, decides that they're worthy of worship, it's like everybody sort of goes along with it. At the risk of being trite here, I remember when I was a kid, I learned a song at Christmas called Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I don't know if any of you learned that song when you were a kid growing up, but I, I remember that Rudolph had a red nose, and there was a lyric that said they wouldn't let poor Rudolph join in any reindeer games. He was an outsider. But you know, if you know the song, there was a night when it was a foggy night, Santa needed help, turned on Rudolph's nose, put him out there in front. Listen to this lyric. Then how the reindeer loved him. I mean, they went from not liking him to loving him. And they shouted out with glee, Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer, you go down in history. That's, that's our nature. I mean, a very ordinary person. We take them, we elevate them, we make them famous, and then suddenly everybody decides that they're, they're worthy of worship. But here's the reality. Our elevation of people may change how they look in our eyes, but it doesn't really change them. Barack Obama, whether you're very fond of our president or you're not fond of our president, at the end of the day, President Obama is still Barack Obama. He's still the same man he was before he was elected. The Pope may be an extraordinary man. He may be a fine leader. But at the end of the day, he's still who he was. It's the same way with all of us. I mean, this is why we keep getting disappointed with our heroes And remember, we're talking about why this whole thing blew up with Jesus. Why on Sunday they were cheering for him, and on Friday they were calling for his crucifixion. See, here's the thing. They were offering to make Jesus their king. That sounds good. But there's a problem because Jesus is different from all the rest of us. Jesus is different from any other celebrity. He's different from any other king. He can't be installed because he's king already. 
See, what makes him different from any other human being that gets elevated or famous is Jesus was who he was before he came in. He is king whether I accept him as king or not. He is Lord whether I accept him or not. He is the Lord. He is the king. He is king already. In John chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. Can you say that about anybody else? I mean, the Bible says he was, he was part of everything that was made. And without him, nothing got made. Colossians 1.16 says it better to me than any other verse. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else. And he holds all creation together. That's quite a resume, wouldn't you say? He, he made it. It was made for him. It belongs to him. And he holds everything together. You can't, see, here's the question. You can't make that man king. You cannot make, every once in a while I hear people talk about making Jesus Lord of your life, and I know what they mean, but you can't make Jesus Lord of your life. He already is Lord. He already is king. I can choose to worship him or I can flip him off, but at the end of the day, he is who he is, and public elevation and fame does not make Jesus anything. And i got to tell you something, and I'm trying to be kind about this, but I'm getting so frustrated with a culture today that says that we've got to find some way to make Jesus socially and politically acceptable to the masses or else people will not accept him. I will tell you, he is who he is whether I accept him or not. And he is not concerned about being socially compatible in a world that is going the wrong direction. He is king of kings and he is lord of lords. And my job is not to make him attractive to you. My job is to declare him to you and you can decide what you want to do with him. I, I, I boldly declare to you, he was not a man who became God. He was God who, who stooped down to become human. You say, well, Mark, what's the point of all this? Well, the point is simply this. This is, why Jesus, this is why it all broke down. Because you see, when they tried to make Jesus king, he refused. He refused their overtures. See, the problem with human elevation is this, and celebrities and entertainers and politicians, they know it all too well. They know that the public says this to them. We made you, we made you, and we can break you. We made you famous, we can make you infamous. Our, I mean, I, sometimes my heart goes out to our political leaders because it's like we set you up, we knock you down. Jesus is just simply not interested in that kind of arrangement. He would never accept things on these terms. Do you know what Jesus did? Listen, work with me for a moment. Do you know what Jesus did right after the people put their coats in the road for him and their win with Jesus buttons on and their palm branches and they cheered for him and called him the Messiah? Do you know what Jesus did right after that? If you read, the Bible tells us, here's what he did. He cried. He wept. That's when Jesus approached Jerusalem. He's still riding on his donkey. He saw the city. He wept over it. He said, if you'd only known this day what would bring you peace. If you'd only known what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden. There's a second reason why it all fell apart. Suppose for a moment that Jesus had decided to go along with the crowd. Suppose he had decided to be the king that they wanted, because he could have. I mean, he, let's just say for a moment Jesus said, all right, I'm your king. I'll kick Rome to pieces. I'll feed everybody. I'll heal people. I'll be the king you want to be. I've got two words for that. So 
what? So what? The problem with humanity is we're all sinners. We live in a broken world. And if he had fed them with sack lunch, if he had healed their bodies, they'd just lived a little longer, and they'd have still died and gone to hell. I mean, so what if Jesus did it? And, and there you have it. He wouldn't become the king they wanted. So Sunday's praise melted to Friday's rage. Sunday's Hosanna became Friday's crucify him. By the way, let's just ask the question. Have you ever had that experience before? You ever had somebody that just loved you as long as you did exactly what they wanted you to do, but then when you decide to be who you really were, all of a sudden they just hated you at that point? And that's what happened to Jesus. The irony is, I mean, and then this is worthless for me to preach this, but the irony is it sure would have been easier on Jesus if he'd have been the king they wanted. Because if he had been the king they wanted, I mean, he wouldn't have had to go to the cross. I mean, they'd have all died and gone to hell, but they'd have gone to hell with full stomachs. And, and Jesus could have just said, okay, guys, I'll be your king. I won't have to go to the cross. I won't go to Gethsemane. I won't have my beard ripped out. I won't be nailed to a cross. I won't have to hang grasping for every breath of air, pushing off against a nail on my feet so that I can pull my head out of my chest to take a breath for six hours. I won't have to have a spear in my side. I won't have to have them beat nails or crowns of thorns in my head. That's fine. The irony is, it has sure been easier for Jesus if he'd have been the king they wanted. But instead of being the king they wanted, he took the rejection. And he became the king they needed. He refused to be the king they wanted so that he could be the king they needed. The events of that last week, I, I don't know how this crowd looked at them. I, I think they figured he just imploded. I mean, if you had gone by what, what it looked like, it was like, wow, what, what were we thinking when we called this guy son of David? Because this guy is crazy. I mean, he, the first thing he did when he went in on Monday, he threw the table of the money changers over and drove them out of the temple with whips. These were powerful people. What was he thinking? And after all, the, the, the religious leaders had put a price on his head. You know what he did? Instead of hiding, he just walked right into town and called them whited sepulchers. He said, you guys are full of dead men's bones. You, you can't get elected that way. That's not the way to become popular, win friends and influence people. He was sold by one of his own. That made sense. After all, poor Judas, he's probably just as disillusioned as the rest of the crowd was. And then he was crucified. I don't know what they were thinking. I'm guessing they were thinking that's what happens to misguided people who won't play ball. But you and I know what really happened. The Bible says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace. Remember Jesus said to Jerusalem, if you only knew if you only knew what would bring you peace. Because you don't need a king, you need a savior. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Not upon me. Not upon you. Not, not the punishment that you and I ought to have. But the punishment that would bring us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Lord knows I have. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. On him. It's on his bill. In the book of Hebrews, 
a summation of what Jesus accomplished is just beautiful here. The Bible says, by his death, not by him riding into town and taking the crown, but by his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. See, and this is more than, well, I don't have time to, to develop this, but back in the Old Testament worship and in the temple, there was a four-inch thick curtain that separated the a holy place from the most holy place. Josephus tells us that if you tied teams of horses to the corners of that veil, they couldn't tear it apart. It was so heavy that the high priest had to crawl under it. Only one person could go past that curtain, the high priest. He could only go on it one day of the year, and that was the Day of Atonement. Inside that most holy place was a 42-inch cubic box called the Ark of the Covenant. On the top of the Ark of the Covenant was a solid gold lid called the mercy seat. There were two golden angels faced, that faced each other, and there between those two angels dwelt God's presence on this earth, and only the high priest could only go in one time of the year. And if he went in and something was wrong, God would kill him on the spot. They put little bells on the bottom of his robe so that they quit hearing them. They would reach under the curtain, take a crooked stick, and pull him out. Nobody could get to the presence of God but the high priest, and only he could get through it with blood. And he would sprinkle the blood seven times on the mercy seat. And what, the way God looked at it, sin was just rolled forward for another year. But look at this. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Now I don't have to have a priest go in for me, and not just one day of the year. I can go right into the presence of God 24 hours a day, and any time I can boldly approach God, because Jesus made a way for me. Yes, he would not be the king he, what they wanted so he could be the king they needed. I, I'm so glad it worked out like this. I'm so glad Jesus refused to play to the crowd and be a, tem a temporary celebrity, because to me it means everything. It's everything to me. But I close tonight by saying, I think one of life's biggest lessons is here. How many of us would love for Jesus to show up in our town? How many of us would love for Jesus to show up in Wichita? I don't care if he's riding a donkey or in a Dodge. I don't really care. I would just love for Jesus to come to Wichita or Andover where I live. You know, in a way, that's what we ask for when we pray isn't it? We want God to show up. We're asking for his power to come into our circumstances. So anytime you pray, you're asking for God to come into your town. But what if he's not the God you want? What if he's not the God you want? What if he doesn't just take your, your request and stamp them and endorse them? Because I think sometimes that's what we really, we're, we're like the people in the story. We're asking for the God we want. God, if you're God, you'll do this for me. God, if you're God, you won't let this relationship break up. God, if you're God, you'll heal me. God, if you're God, you'll get me into this program. 
God, if you're really God, and we don't say it that way, but it's just, it's like we pray. It's like we know what we want God to do, and all we're asking God to do is take his powerful presence and rubber stamp it for us. What if God chooses to be the God you need instead of the God you want? Will you turn on him? Will you turn away from him? I've met people who have. He wouldn't be the God they wanted, so they just said he must not be God. Church, I'm 56 years old. And I've been pastor here for 28 years. And I've lived life on the edge. I've been a risk taker. And so many times... I've pushed all the chips to the middle of the table and bet everything on God. And I can tell you, on almost every occasion, God didn't work the way I expected him to work. But when I look back, he was the God I needed. If he'd done what I wanted him to do, we'd have stopped so far short of everything he had. If he had done what I wanted, I would have never learned the lesson that transformed my life. If he had done what I asked him to do, I would have never experienced God's best. Because you see, with God, there's always a tension between us and him. Because with us, it's all about this life and eternity is an afterthought. With God, it's all about eternity and this life is an afterthought. That means there's always going to be tension between us and God. With us, we're focused on the moment, and God is focused on the future. And because of that, if you ask God to come, he will come into town. He may not be the God you want, but he'll be the God you need. He will be the God you need. And I can tell you from what I've learned with my frail life, I've learned that the God I need, you can trust. You can trust him. Maybe tonight, some of you are puzzled because he hasn't been the God you want. Trust him tonight. Put your life in his care. Could I ask you a question tonight? I have many tasks as a communicator for God, and I feel like I come up short all the time. My most important task is to invite you into a relationship with Jesus Christ because the one who has the son has life and the one who doesn't have the son doesn't have life. Don't tell me about your religion. Don't tell me that you grew up in church. Those things can be impediments, although they can be good. My question is, has there ever been a moment when you received the Jesus you need, not the Jesus that we draw up, but the Jesus you need, the Savior, the one who died in your place, the one who took your punishment for you? Because the Bible says whoever believes on him, whoever puts his or her trust in him, has everlasting life. And so here's what I want to do. I'm just going to pray a prayer, and it's a prayer that reaches out to Jesus. Next week we're going to talk about the fact that he rose from the grave, so he's alive. I promise you, he's listening for you. You don't have to pull him over. He's bending down to listen to you right now. And if you want to pray with me, and if you want to invite Jesus Christ to come into your life, you can make the most important decision of your time and eternity. Let's pray together. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. Your word says you put my sin on Jesus' bill. 
and he paid for my sin. I receive him as Savior and King. I ask you to forgive me and make me God's child. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, when, if you just pray with me, I, I'd love for you to receive a gift from me. I have a gift for you. It's a packet. It's got a DVD in it and also a book that's been written that answers a lot of questions about having a relationship with Jesus and a coupon for a new Bible. So if you just pray with me, please, just bring your talk to us card back to guest services, either one, and say, I pray with Mark. Now, New Springers, please don't forget to grab a handful of mini invites. Six services since next weekend. Thank you for listening to this message. Aren't you glad he's the God we need?